Father, God, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, God, for your character, Father, your unchanging character, your mercy, your grace, God, your truth, your love, your justice, all perfect in every way, God. And, and so when we come to you, Lord, to pray, we just realize who you are. We recognize how majestic you are. We recognize that you are so great. And Lord, we also recognize that you're our Father. And you're in heaven, Father, and you are caring for us and you have all things in your hand. And in light of who you are, God, we also recognize just just who we are. Lord, we see that we are needy. We see that we are sinners. We see that we are weak. And we see that we need a mediator in order to be able to come, in order to be able to pray, in order to be able to enjoy any taste of who you are and to know anything of you and to understand your word or to draw near to your presence or to benefit from anything that you have to offer, Lord, and that you've revealed We need a mediator, and so we thank you, Father, for sending your Son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your tremendous grace towards us. And Lord, as we move into this worship service, I pray that the word preached would be a word that's effectual, a word that is Um, encouraging, a word that is true, a word that is powerful and just so, so impactful, Lord, in our lives this week as we need to be fed in order to be able to live. And God, I also pray, uh, I do pray for the world at large, this country in particular. I pray for the government And I know in this past week, uh, there's much disappointment from many people I've talked to about the way things have gone, Lord, in the election and so on. But I do pray, God, that you would remind us even today, even in this service, and as we go forward, that you're on the throne. You're the king of all creation, all the universe. And you're the special leader and the king over your own people, your chosen church, your own people. And so we pray that we would not have fear, not have trepidation about the future because of an election, but that we would trust in you as our king. I thank you also, God, um, for the families in this church. I thank you for the way that you're doing work amongst this whole church, amongst Families that are seeking to teach the word, seeking to lead in a way that is God-honoring. And uh, that's the first mission field, Lord, for us as we work amongst the people that are our closest kin. I pray that you would bless that mission. At the same time, I pray that you'd bless our broader reach here in Castlewoods. I pray that people from this community would see this church 
the people from this community would see it and want to come and see what's going on here that we also would be able to reach people here in this near in this neighborhood i also pray for the oliveras i pray for all the rbnet missionaries all the missionaries and ministers that used to come to this church or that are supported by this church or that are connected to this church and all the missionaries and ministers all throughout the world who are faithful to your word. And I just pray that we would understand the global and universal reach of the kingdom and how important that is. I pray also this evening for our pastor. I pray for Pastor Wynn. I pray that you'd encourage his heart Encourage his soul. Continue to feed him, Lord. Give him strength and encouragement as it can be difficult to be a pastor, Lord. There's so many burdens and so many emotional and spiritual things that can burden a pastor. But we know that you are strong and you have a spirit that is a comforting spirit, a helping spirit. And so I pray that, Spirit, that you would help our pastor continue to feed and encourage him and lord in this holiday season as well i pray that you would bless it that you'd bless the time together with family bless the time together with friends bless it and help us to have wonderful christian fellowship together but god i also pray for those who maybe do not have families and those who do not have friends and those people for whom these seasons are difficult and for whom these seasons are painful, I pray that you'd be especially near to them and that you'd be especially close to them and reminding them that you're the closest friend, the closest family, and the closest support that they could ever need and that we would also be there for people like that. And Father, uh, I pray for this uh, illness that seems to be going around in the church and and in this community at large, as people are ending up hospitalized sometimes or very, very sick, I just pray that you would continue to be with those who are ill. Pray for all the physical needs in our congregation, all the physical needs uh, that, that are manifold. I pray that you'd be with those people who need spiritual strength in the midst of their physical ailments. And remind them, please, Lord, that you are great you are in control and you are god in the midst of their difficulties i also pray for the spiritual needs as many people in this in this church have family and friends who are wandering god who are rejecting you who do not yet know you i pray that you would please bless them please work in their lives please open their hearts, bring them to repentance. Bring those people with spiritual needs to call upon your name and be saved, as we heard today. And we do pray also, Lord, that um, you would just be with all of the expecting mothers in the church, be with anyone who is expecting a child, and also be with those who maybe struggling to have children or struggling to um, deal with 
that aspect of life and maybe seeing others who do. And I pray that you'd continue to bless and uphold such people and encourage them in those times. Remind them that the ultimate treasure is in heaven and remind each of us that, Father, today. And so I pray all of this in Jesus' name. I pray all of this in the hope and the encouragement that we have in the gospel. And please bless the rest of this service and be with Hal, Lord, as he preaches the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Three, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be mainly looking at verses 22 through uh, the end of the chapter into verse 1 of chapter 4. But we're going to go ahead and read all of chapter 3 so that we get the, the rest of the context. So Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are, on, that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, another forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit, your, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they should become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service and people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again that we have such riches and beauty 
in the Scriptures. And even in the things that seem far away and distant to us, Lord, your word still continues to speak to us where we are in our lives. So, Father, as we expound this text, Lord, may we understand and apply these things to our lives, not so that we can simply be good and moral and upright, but that we might glorify you as those who steward their authority that has been given from you and submit to you in all things, knowing that we have been, submit, that we have been placed there for your ultimate purposes. Father, help us this very hour. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, we are tackling the subject of slavery. And before we dive into the text, I want to offer a little disclaimer. I am not going to answer every question about slavery. Uh, I simply cannot. That would take at least a Sunday school or two. But I do want to put slavery in its biblical context before we approach it. Last time in verses 18 to 21 of chapter 3, we saw that the family structure of parents and children is a creation institution deemed good in God's sight. But even post-fall, the family structure becomes a paradigm for how broader societal relationships operate for the common good, for God's common grace. Simply put, here's the idea. The natural hierarchy that is within the family that natural hierarchy, it produces a form of hierarchy in all communities and all societies, though it looks different across times and cultures. In the New Testament, this hierarchy is found in politics with civil leaders and its citizens, and in the church with elders in the congregation. These forms of hierarchy are familiar to us today. But the institution of slavery can be foreign and morally questionable to us. But for Paul, and really all of the biblical writers, all of them, slavery was simply another form of post-fall hierarchy regulated by God for His common grace purposes. So coming to our passage, Paul extends the principles of the family to the broader societal relationships found in the ancient Greco-Roman world. But as we said last time, sin distorts the blessings of stewardship and submission within our relationships. So hear this, brothers and sisters. This is our main point. Since Jesus is Lord, we must serve in our relationships. Since Jesus is Lord, we must serve in our relationships, no matter what they may be. In our passage tonight, Paul calls us to serve in our roles as subordinates and as superiors. So, going into our text, for our first point, Jesus is Lord. Since Jesus is Lord, subordinates must submit to their superiors. In verses 22 to 25, Paul shows the manner and reason for the slave's submission to their masters. In verse 22, Paul addresses slaves. Slaves. And this term is a little bit difficult because it's not very super well defined. Slave is a catch-all term for a myriad of social statuses and positions in the Greco-Roman world. Most slaves voluntarily sold themselves into slavery due to poverty. And to be a slave meant a lower status, but it was often necessary to climb socially and economically. Also, in the ancient world, the home served as the economic hub. 
Slaves, slaves served as, a, as labor in their master's home business, we could say. Under Roman law, slaves had a legal responsibility to promote the master's house, the master's business, whereas the master had the legal responsibility to provide his home for his slaves until they were able to pay off their debts. So in verse 22, Paul calls slaves to obey in everything to their earthly masters. So slaves had this legitimate responsibility, and they must fulfill it. But see the manner of their obedience, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. It's easy to do the work the right way when, only, when the boss is only in the office. It's this way with us today, and so it was with slaves and their masters. Rather, Christ, Christian slaves are to obey with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Sincere obedience is to be given to earthly masters because Christians ultimately serve the true Lord with fear and reverence through their submission to their earthly masters. We see this in other places in Paul's letters, such as Ephesians 6. In verse 23, Paul reiterates his command. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In verse 24 and 25, we are given three reasons for the slave's sincere obedience. First, slaves know that their inheritance, which is in context the new creation and glory, that this inheritance will come from the Lord, is a surety. Slaves could not inherit the home of their masters. Only natural sons could. But... But Christ rewards slaves with a heavenly inheritance. Second, Christian slaves are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've seen throughout our study in Colossians, Christ is Lord over both the old and new creations. Our obedience in these things is simply a recognition of His supreme authority as Christ. And in third, in verse 25, we see that phrase there the wrongdoer will be paid back, and there is no partiality. A slave could fool his master and wrong him, but there is no fooling King Jesus. Those who play the hypocrite are liable to judgment, even those with the more sympathetic role. Indeed, there is no partiality with Christ. As believers, slaves served under the same lordship uh, as their masters, and they shared in the same inheritance as their masters. As Paul said in chapter 3, verse 11, In Christ, here there is not slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. All of the New Testament authors overshadow the slaves' earthly status with their heavenly status. Or they emphasize Christ's lordship over their master's lordship. We see this in places like Ephesians 6, again, 1 Timothy 6, Titus 2. And often, slaves were subjected to mistreatment by their masters. But that treatment should not affect the slave's responsibility and service. We see that in 1 Peter. In fact, let's turn there, 1 Peter. And please turn there with me. 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 18, with this context of mistreatment in mind. 
1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Of course, as we see throughout the New Testament, really with Paul, Paul does not want needless suffering for his slaves, such as we see in 1 Corinthians 7. If you could become free, then do it. But ultimately, Paul's concern was for slaves to learn to submit well in whatever circumstances that they were called in because Christ was honored in it. Brothers and sisters, I'll be frank. I'm sure many of you are aware of how such verses about slaves have been used to justify some horrible abuses and some horrible, horrible things. So we need to be careful not to be anachronistic here to read our initial thoughts and concerns into Paul's words. But we also need to be careful not to see Paul's words as belonging only to that time and culture. That's an error that we also need to avoid. Paul shows us what an honorable and Christ-exalting life looks like as a subordinate in these words. And though we don't have the master-slave dynamic in our day, our place in the marketplace or in our communities are where we often find ourselves in that subordinate role. For example, many of us have jobs where we answer to a higher up, if not two or three. We are subordinate somewhere along the business hierarchy, somewhere along the food chain. Or we belong to some community, maybe a neighborhood or a school or even the church, where there is either a spoken or unspoken chain of command. In the daily cadence of our lives, we are interacting with people who we must answer to. And sometimes, these people are frustrating. We may be in a job that we do not like with unbelieving bosses that we cannot stand. Or we may be in a community that we do not enjoy with leaders we do not respect. And I think we all know that feeling now. Many slaves did not have believing masters. Some slaves had cruel masters. In our day, it's easy to get away from these annoyances, such as finding a new neighborhood, withdrawing from our community responsibilities, or finding new employment. It's as simple as that. And if we have that freedom, we can use it. But this is what I want us to appreciate here in this passage. Our brothers and sisters in the early church and throughout the centuries did not have such a luxury. They had to learn contentment in ways we do not. They had to submit before frustrating superiors, cruel superiors, wicked superiors, and less than unfortunate circumstances that we simply do not have to worry about. 
And brothers and sisters, I wonder if our freedom and our social mobility have not cost us in some measure. We should be immensely grateful for the privileges and the freedoms that we have. But is it possible, brothers, and please think this with me, is it possible that we use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? When things get difficult at work or in your community, it's very easy to do the minimum amount of work until, until you get by or until a better opportunity presents itself. But what happens when that better opportunity does not come? I've been in this situation before. Bitterness, laziness, and contempt for your circumstances or your superiors quickly sets in. But such a spirit shows that you are not serving the Lord Jesus, but ultimately yourself. Again, you may have the freedom to find a better lot. And you can use it. But are you despising the circumstances that King Jesus has placed you in for His own glory? Then, brothers and sisters, let me be plain. If you despise the circumstances Christ has orchestrated for His glory, then you do not serve Jesus. You serve yourself. I'm also afraid that our freedoms and our ease of life have not taught us how to suffer well. But suffering well is a blessed virtue in the Christian life. In fact, the Apostle Peter uses Christ and his sufferings for us as an example to suffer well. As we read, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing, a commendable thing. In the sight of God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Those who suffer in this life as subordinates for Christ's sake will inherit something far greater than a better lot in this life. Brothers and sisters, what we need to see from these verses is that somewhere along the totem pole, somewhere down the line, we are subordinates. And we need to learn to suffer well like those who came before us, our brothers and sisters who came before us. In whatever circumstances you are in, a bad job with an awful boss or a frustrating neighborhood with annoying leaders, do not live for yourselves. Live for Christ. Submit under Jesus and the circumstances that He has ordained. Brothers and sisters, you may not gain an ounce of gold or respect here, but you will gain a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory in the life to come. So brothers and sisters, submit earnestly and suffer well. Why? Because Christ is Lord. That should be enough. Amen? So then, slaves had a humble but important role to play in their callings. But their masters are called to just as high of a calling. This brings us to our second point. 
Since Jesus is Lord, superiors must steward their authority over their subordinates. In the very first verse of chapter 4, Paul shows how the manner and reason for masters stewarding their authority over their slaves. In, verse, in this verse, Paul addresses masters. And again, this can be somewhat vague to us. We might have an immediate thought in our mind. But depending on the size of the home, there could be multiple masters serving in the same home. Even slaves who owned other slaves were considered masters. Just as Christ, uh, and, and uh, excuse me, so Paul may be addressing anyone who had a recognized authority over others, not just ma- mainly the main patriarch. That's the idea. We also see how masters are to steward their power over their slaves. They must grant to their slaves justice and equality. Paul may be implying that the master's character is to reflect Christ's own character. Just as Christ is impartial with the slaves, as we saw in verse 25, masters are likewise to be impartial. There's a tendency to show favoritism to some slaves and their wages would reflect it. Their lot in their life by their master's hand would reflect it. And mistreatment ought not to be by the whim of the master. But masters were to govern with justice and equality of a common standard, just as Christ governs us. Notably, to grant justice to slaves in the empire, according to the Roman mind, according to the Greek mind, was a foreign concept. To grant them justice, completely foreign. Slaves were considered property in the Greco-Roman world especially slaves, won as prisoners of war. And depending on the context, some slaves had virtually no rights, while other slaves did. Regardless, all slaves were still subject to the absolute power of their master. But as we know, far too often, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But Paul was clearly working from the Mosaic Law when he was writing these words. Slaves were still to be treated with dignity and a standard of justice. Masters still had a great authority, yes, but that authority had a limited jurisdiction. Masters were to steward their limited powers according to what God had revealed for the betterment betterment of others, not what their culture or their whims allowed. And there is a reason why masters ought to steward their limited authority according to God's revelation. Masters were to treat slaves with justice because they know that they also have a master in heaven. As Paul has argued throughout Colossians, Christ is the ascended Lord who governs all of creation for His purposes in the new creation. And with this knowledge of Christ's lordship in mind, masters were to steward their powers because they are common slaves with their brethren in Christ. And their temporary and limited powers were to serve Christ's eternal power over all. You may have noticed as we were reading earlier that Paul has a lot more to say about the Colossians, uh, to the Colossians about the master-slave relationship than he does about the family. Look there, just peruse that little paragraph uh, in Colossians. It's just a a short little paragraph, but more than 50% of it deals with slaves, not the family. 
He roots this relationship more in its theological context, more than anywhere else in his writings here in Colossians. And there's a pretty good reason for this. As we will see in a few weeks, Paul's messenger, Tychicus, is on a mission to bring Paul's letter to the Colossians and the Ephesians. But Tychicus was on another mission. He had a man named Onesimus with him. Onesimus is a slave who stole and escaped from his master, Philemon. That's where we get the letter in our Bibles. But along the way, Onesimus found Paul and was converted. And so Paul sent both Tychicus and Onesimus to circulate his letters, but they were also about to go back to Philemon's home to return Onesimus back to his master. It's quite the grand story. It's quite the tale. Under Roman law, Philemon had the right to kill Onesimus. But Paul appeals to Philemon's Christian brotherhood to forgive and accept Onesimus. Philemon was to steward his powers according to God's word through Paul. And if we read the church fathers correctly, Onesimus does not only become a brother to Philemon, Onesimus becomes a free elder in the church of Ephesus, all to the glory of God. So Christian masters were to steward their powers because Christ is Lord. And by stewarding their powers under Christ, not only did their homes and all the families in them flourish, but the church flourished as well, as we see with Philemon and Onesimus. So brothers and sisters, how are we to steward our powers as as superiors and influence Uh, and use our influence for the betterment of our subordinates in the church. Again, the master-slave dynamic is not with us today. The closest parallel we have to a master is a boss or a community leader of some sort. So maybe you're somewhere higher up on the totem pole, up the corporate ladder, so to speak. Just as a master, you are to grant the workers under you justice and fairness. And as far as it depends on you, you should seek the good to reward good work and discipline poor work. You should treat your workers with dignity, not embarrassing them in front of others, nor being biased against them. And you should genuinely seek their flourishing. Encourage your employees to climb that corporate ladder or gain skills for better work. These are all good things. All these are basic ways that you can use your position in the workplace as a workplace superior for the betterment of those beneath you. Or if you have a community leader and you, and you have some social capital, you should use it fairly and for God's glory. If you are someone that people respect and look up for guidance, we all have those people within our communities. If you are someone that people look to with respect, you should use your influence for their betterment. Maybe ask that eager but neglected mother to oversee the bake sale instead of your longtime friend. Ask that new neighbor to comment about how to improve the community rather than that old friend down the street. Or in the church, you could ask a new believer or a new member to pray for you. 
These suggestions may seem so small and insignificant. But for those souls who feel so small, the attention and generosity of someone they respect can be an antidote to their less than ideal circumstances. The Queen of England was loved by the masses, not because she could do much for them, but because she could use her respected authority to speak a word of profound encouragement to the every man in their turmoil. Brothers and sisters, that's true power. But also, how can we use our role as superiors for the betterment of the church spiritually? How can we have our Philemon moment? You may be a respected member here in this church, as Philemon was in his church. And you may have been sinned against by another among the church. And it's actually quite wonderful, uh, the circumstances that God has orchestrated recently, uh, such as we just had here. Sunday, Sunday school teachers, especially for the children. You may have been sinned against by one of your children, possibly. Maybe you teach children Sunday school and one of your children was disrespectful towards you or, or they just plain irritate you. That never happens, right? Now that sin does need to be addressed with their parents and their parents should handle it. But Sunday school teachers... Do not grow resentful towards that child or that child's parents. Yes, your dignity as a uh, teacher may be undermined by a small child, and for some reason that can be the biggest thorn in the flesh. But we also need to be willing to suffer that annoyance for the child's sake. There is a reason why Sunday school teachers are so beloved by our children. It's because you are shepherding them with your great authority. You may not feel it or see it, but they do. So Sunday school teachers and nursery workers, uh, uh, you must be included as well. Be encouraged and continue to steward your authority well. It is no small thing. And if you are a person with authority in the church, and I'm not talking about church officers like the elders and the deacons, but those that people recognize, then you too must steward your authority well. For those that handle the church functions, for those who do all the parties and all the stuff that belongs to that, one, let us all just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for how you serve us. There may be days that you feel frustrated when people fail to do their jobs, they sign up late, or they just plain don't listen to the directions. That has never happened in the life of this church, I'm sure. And in those frustrations... It's very tempting to become bitter, lazy, discouraged, and so on. But dear brother, dear sister, remember that you are serving Christ's beloved church. You aid the church in edifying one another. We need your help and your direction and your stability so that we can give ourselves to those truly beautiful spiritual matters that you help us obtain. Brothers and sisters, that is no small thing. And teachers and student interns, you are recognized for your teaching abilities. And there may be days that you don't feel appreciated 
because, you didn't, because people didn't show up for your class or your devotional. Or you're not the one in the pulpit. But don't fret over that. Yes, the church needs instruction. But that can come from both the pulpit and the pew. Use your influence and your teaching abilities to show others how to live for Christ. Yes, people should show up for your classes and savor the deep things of God. Amen, amen, amen. But make Christ plain to them and lift Christ high in your teaching and preaching. Christ's lordship is what God's people always need, including yourselves. As you lift Christ up more, you will worry less and less about who is listening, but you will care more and more the one who's being proclaimed. Brothers and sisters, or brothers, really, that is no small thing. So then, in conclusion, since Christ is Lord, we must serve in our relationships. Whether we are subordinates who submit and suffer well, or superiors who steward well. Though we may have different roles in this life, the members of Christ's church have a common goal and authority to make Christ known. Our Lord has commissioned us. So then let us all, with whatever influence we may have or whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, let us lift up this Christ. We may have little power in this world and may may seem so small in comparison to others, but we have been commissioned to make the Almighty Christ known. We all can make that gospel story known. We all can speak of the holy God and His authority that we have spurned. We can all speak of how rebellious we are in our sins, deserving of God's condemnation. But we all can speak of Christ who came to serve sinners by suffering the curse of sin in our place. And through His sufferings, Christ lifted Christ on high to the right hand where He reigns as the victorious Lord and Master over the earth. And by repentance and faith in this precious Savior, worthless slaves to sin such as you and I can come into Christ's house and become slaves to righteousness. We who were once slaves to sin and deserving of the penalty of eternal net death now have a heavenly inheritance through our merciful Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the authority we have been given. Though we may be small or grand in this world, we have a far grander Christ that he has commissioned to make him known. You may feel small, brother and sister, but your Christ is big. Brothers and sisters, I may not have answered every question about slavery, and I did not intend to, but hopefully we can all see the blessed reality of being a slave to Christ Jesus. He is a good Lord. And by submitting to Him and stewarding the power of salvation, His gospel, there is great reward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this night. We thank You for this passage of Scripture that indeed it is though it might seem foreign immediate, it is so immediately practical to our wayward souls where we feel small 
discouraged, embittered, angry, or whether we be tempted to pride and pompous uh, behavior in our authority. Lord, your word rebukes us, but it also presents us one who suffered perfectly and who has established a perfect authority under heaven, and he has established a community of faith where there is love and joy and peace found not in who we serve or what we do or in how we serve, but ultimately because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be enough for whatever circumstances we find ourselves, and may he be indeed lifted up this night. We ask this, O Father, in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.